Abby asked a good question. Why are we here today? It's Sunday is one answer. Jesus is another answer. Jesus is the answer. The question doesn't matter. It's Sunday. And the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, verse 25, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Why does the author of Hebrews emphasize that? Why is, why is Sunday a big deal? The Bible gives us lots of answers. It's a question that has an answer. It has, it has a, 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 an abundance of answers. We come together to study God's word together. We come together to worship corporately because it's different. Our private worship is precious and it's special, but so too is this gathering. We come to use our spiritual gifts to minister one to another. The gifts that God has given us, he hasn't given us for we ourselves. He gives us gifts that we might minister to other people in them. We come together to pray. We come together to learn how to pray, to see what's going on in people's lives so we know how to pray for them and to find out how God is answering those prayers, the prayers that we prayed last week, last month, sometimes last year. We come together as community to be part of one another, to bear one another's burdens. And we come together to rub up against each other sometimes. It's easy to be in fellowship when you're not in fellowship because we tend to not offend people that we're not near and they don't offend us. Let's just keep a buffer zone. We come together to learn grace. We come together because we know that we need grace and we know that we need to give grace and church is a reminder of that. But you guys know all that because you're here. You know that, most of it at least. We're going to talk more about that next week. What it is to be the church, to be being the church. But there's another why are we here question that I want to get into this morning. Why are we here celebrating Christmas? Why were many of us here last night celebrating Christmas? We're here because it's the first day of the week. And that's when the apostles gathered to worship the Lord and we follow their example we would be here because it's Sunday, whether it was Christmas or not, but we wouldn't be here with a tree in the hall. We wouldn't be here with wreaths on the wall. We wouldn't be here with cards and gifts to exchange or cinnamon rolls and hospitality. We wouldn't be singing Christmas songs, but we are. We're doing all of those things this morning. And we do those things every year. And every church I can think of does it too. Almost every Christian that I know celebrates Christmas. And if someone were to ask why, we'd say, well, it's obvious. We'd grab a Bible, we'd turn someplace like Luke chapter 2, and we'd say there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord stood, uh, shone around them. And they were greatly afraid, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we'd say that's what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown. But why do we celebrate it the way that we do? Why do we celebrate it when we do? Why December 25th? 
And why do we celebrate it to the extent that we do? We, like the whole month is organized around it. I mean, in a very real sense, our whole calendar year is organized around it. There's not one retailer in the country that doesn't base their business plan on Christmas. And even as families, our schedules, our vacation, our travel, our budget, we bend a lot of our lives around this date. And the Bible doesn't tell us to. Nowhere in the Bible do we read December 25th or anything that points to December 25th. Nowhere in the Bible are we taught to commemorate the birth of Jesus. Death of Jesus, yes. Death and resurrection, absolutely. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus told us that. He instructed us in that way. But nothing about Christmas. So why do we do it? There are those who would say we shouldn't. Some say we shouldn't, and they say it angrily. They say it loudly. We don't know when Jesus was born. And Christmas trees and Christmas lights, that, that derives from idol worship. December 25th was originally a pagan feast. It was worship of false gods. Gift-giving. Gift-giving was a religious tradition started by the Babylonians while they worshipped the sun and the moon and the storms. And mistletoe. Don't get me started on mistletoe. Mistletoe was part of ancient fertility rites. Enough questions from enough people, it's worth asking the question among ourselves, are we doing this right? Should we be doing this at all? Because, well, we've always done it this way. It's a really bad answer to anything. Everybody else's doing it is even worse. That's how we got slavery. That's how we got the Holocaust. That's how we got the subjugation of women and a thousand other cosmic injustices. Why do we celebrate Christmas? We need to ask the question. And we need to try to answer it because other people are asking. They're casting doubts. They're casting aspersions. They're calling Christmas into question. We need to ask the question so we can respond to other people. And we need to ask the question so that we don't have that doubt running around in our own minds. Because that'll detract from the celebration. Spoiler alert, you can probably guess which side I'm going to come down on. There's some clues. The tree in the hall, the wreaths on the wall, the songs we just sang. The fact that we say Merry Christmas to each other. Yeah, spoiler alert, I'm not going to tell you this morning, we're all in sin. But why am I sure? Why can we be sure? And what do we say to well-intentioned people who are wondering if we're getting it wrong? Let's take our list and work through it. It's not a comprehensive list. It's not complete. But it's a, it's a decent cross-section of objections that people raise. It's a representative sample. Enough so, I think, that if, if we can figure out how to answer these objections, we should be able to come up with a reasonable response to anything else that someone might say about Christmas. I'm going to take them in reverse order, because the last couple are actually really easy, but they'll illustrate some principles that we can then use to unpack some of the chewier ones. Sound okay? Okay, we'll dive in. We'll start with mistletoe because that's the one that you laughed at when I mentioned it. <laughs> mistletoe. You catch someone under the mistletoe, you get to kiss them. 
Okay, that's gross. Yeah, we've got wreaths on the wall, there's a tree, there's cinnamon rolls, there is no mistletoe, there better not be any mistletoe in the church. And, you know, I hadn't thought about mistletoe for a long time. I started poking around, okay, is that even worth talking about? Is that, like, fallen into obscurity? But Justin Bieber wrote a song about it not that long ago. <laughs> Harry Potter got his first kiss under the mistletoe. Wait, can, can we read Harry Potter in church? Okay, that's, we'll do that another day. <laughs> so, so mistletoe is still part of the zeitgeist. It's still intrinsically associated with, with what we think of when we think of Christmas. And it's kind of gross. I mean, more, more than gross. Think about it. We get to ambush people and kiss them whether they're into it or not because we're entitled to. Any other day, we'd say, that's, that's, that's not okay. Any other day, any other context, we'd say that's a really, really bad thing. But it doesn't make Christmas bad. Because mistletoe, listen, mistletoe isn't a what, it's a how. Mistletoe doesn't have anything to do with what Christmas is. There wasn't, there wasn't a festival of random person kissing that already existed and we just grafted Jesus' name onto it. Christmas came first. And then someone decided to add mistletoe to it. Now, there's at least one person in the room, I'm sure, who's saying, you haven't done your homework, Patrick. Mistletoe comes from Norse mythology. It comes from Odin and Thor and Loki and Baldur and Frigga and all of those false gods. And, and there are legends in Norse mythology about mistletoe being a symbol of love and the promise of a kiss. And, and, and that's kind of true. It's not as true as people want to make it out to be, but, 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 but let's just say that it is. That, that mistletoe, the whole kissing and everything sprang fully formed out of Norse mythology. Here's the thing. It was never, not ever, not once connected to Christmas until the 1700s. Centuries after Jesus was born. Centuries after the church began celebrating his birth. December 25th came and went for hundreds and hundreds of years. No one mentioned mistletoe. You find it in no writings associated with Christmas, and you find no writings of Christmas associated with all of the books written about plants and botany and mistletoe. You can find folklore, you can find medicinal uses, you can find legends and superstitions, but not Christmas until the 1700s. Secular historians who study this, because people study this, have asked, where did the connection, where did this association between Christmas and mistletoe come from? The very best answer they've been able to come up with is it was a very creative boy and a very gullible girl. You can find that in print. Historians, that is their theory. Maybe it was a very creative girl and a very gullible boy. I don't know. I think it's more like something a guy would think up because... Did I mention it's gross? <laughs> In any case, mistletoe is a really dopey way to celebrate Christmas. But it's not a reason to not celebrate Christmas. So we can scratch that one off our list. And we can make a note, don't confuse what and how. Doing something the wrong way doesn't automatically mean we're doing a wrong thing. Let's keep going. One down, a few more to go. 
sending and receiving gifts. Sending and receiving gifts, some say, taints Christmas, taints it beyond redemption. And they're not talking about the commercialism. They're not talking about the spending and the, the, and the, and the everything. No, they're talking about the fact that gift-giving was associated with Babylonian worship. And it was. When they were, you know, Nimrod and others are worshiping the sun and the moon and the storms and the fertility gods, there was gift-giving as associated with that. And so goes the, the theory, so goes the idea, we shouldn't want any part of that. We shouldn't want to go anywhere near that. Why? Because God said, I'm the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. We don't want to mix and match our belief systems. We worship the true and living God, the one true God. But is that a reason to not give gifts at Christmas? Is that a reason to run away from Christmas? The Babylonians ate breakfast, I think. They ate breakfast and they worshiped false gods. Should we not eat breakfast? Is that going to lead us into perdition? Post hoc propter hoc. That's Latin for, that's some huckleberry bad logic right there. <laughs> lots of cultures give gifts, and they do it for lots of reasons. The fact that some of those reasons might be bad isn't, isn't caused to negate the practice altogether, especially in a context where it might be good, especially in a context that might even be redemptive. And the reality is, the people who say, no, we need to cancel Christmas because gift-giving is bad. It's something that the Babylonians did. I'm pretty sure they still enjoy their birthday presents. I'm still sure they enjoy their anniversary presents. Can you imagine the conversation? Did you forget our anniversary again? No, babe, but I was thinking, you know, the Babylonians, so didn't get you anything. Like mistletoe, this, this is pretty easy to defeat. Just because a particular custom or practice is associated with something bad or someone bad doesn't make that in and of itself a bad act. In logic, we'd call that a genetic fallacy. In church, we'd say it's meat sacrifice to idols. But I'll tell you, we don't even have to work that hard. We can defeat this very, very simply. Question, who is the greatest gift giver of all time? Jesus. Jesus. Thanks be to God, we read in 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Who's Paul talking about? Jesus. Gift giving at Christmas isn't bad. The very first Christmas, God gave us a gift named Jesus. He gave us the very best gift. God is a gift giver. And everything God does is good. So gift giving can't always be bad. Let's keep going. Let's, let's see if we can find a tougher opponent to defeat. What about the idea that Christmas was originally a pagan festival that the church just went in and glommed onto and adopted? You'll hear this one a lot. You do hear this one a lot, right? When, when someone says that, when someone lays that on you, have some fun. It's Christmas. We get to have fun. When someone says, well, Christmas is just, you know, pagan. It, was just, it just came from a pagan holiday. Which one? Ask them that and then wait. 
Because there's actually several candidates. Probably you'll hear, I don't know, I just read it on the internet. Okay, go read some more on the internet and get back to me. Because if someone doesn't know why they believe something, you're going to have a really hard time changing their mind. If someone doesn't know why they believe something, why should they believe you? Is Christian a pagan holiday with a manger scene dropped in? There's actually a conversation to be had there. But, but let's parse it. Which pagan holiday are we talking about? One candidate is the winter solstice, that, that point where the earth is traveling around the sun and, and it gets to the day with the shortest day and the longest night. That's the winter solstice. The problem, the problem is that that never, never falls on December 25th. And, and, and you can go back and say, well, I know that there were fluctuations in the calendar and adjustments and modifications, all true, all irrelevant. Never falls on December 25th. Do the Druids make a big deal out of the winter solstice? Sure. The Wiccans? Sure. Groups that I haven't heard of? I don't, I don't doubt it. But winter solstice is probably not what we're aiming for if we're trying to find a pagan origin of Christmas. Now, someone who's a little, little more sophisticated is going to say, huh, what about Sol Invictus? Sol what? Sol Invictus was the Roman sun god, not early on in Roman mythology, but later on. Sol Invictus, Sol, sun, the Roman sun god. And the feast, the festival to Sol Invictus did fall on December 25th. <laughs> oh, there you go! Except, ho ho, one small problem, just like mistletoe, Christmas came first. The feast, the festival of Sol Invictus, yeah, it had all of the depravity and debauchery you'd expect of a Roman celebration, but it didn't exist until 274 AD. It was started by Emperor Lucius Aurelius 50 years after the early church settled on December 25th as the date of Jesus' birthday. Now, December 25th may or may not be the right date. Probably not, and I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But you can't say that the church took Sol Invictus and turned it into Christmas because it didn't exist yet. It's more like the other way around. The pagans took Christmas and co-opted it into a party for themselves. Okay, but you're skipping the big one, Patrick. What about Saturnalia? Another pagan holiday takes its name from Saturn, the granddaddy of all the Roman gods. And that definitely did come before Christmas, centuries before Christmas. Saturnalia was a feast long before Christmas was invented, long before Jesus came. But it also comes long before Christmas on the calendar. In the West, we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, obviously. Why? Answer, this is weird, one of the early church fathers, Sectus Julius Africanus, wrote a book called Chronography, in which he calculated the date of Mary's conception. He calculated that to be March 25th. He marched forward, he scrolled forward nine months and said, well, March 25th? December 25th. 
And that's why there's a Christmas tree in your living room today. Eastern Church celebrates Christmas on January 6th. David Sneed, missionary to Ukraine who visited here a few months ago, actually wrote a little book um, a few, uh, just a couple months back, a little electronic book called Ukraine Has Two Christmases talking about the tension, the conflict between the Western Church and the Eastern Church in Ukraine, the Russian Orthodox Church and the Western Church. The Eastern Church says January 6th because they did their math differently. But for our purposes in, in this conversation, it doesn't matter. December 25th, January 6th, neither lines up with Saturnalia. The history of the feast is complicated, and yeah, the history of the calendar is complicated. But Saturnalia was originally on December 17th. And different emperors did different things with it. Sometimes they made it into a two-day, a three-day, a four-day, a five-day feast. Someone would make it longer, someone would make it shorter. But the longest it ever was was December 17th to December 23rd. So the idea, again, that the church just said, hey, here's a pagan celebration that already has momentum. Let's turn it into a Christian holiday. It doesn't stand up. Now, what we know did happen is about a century after December 25th was locked in as Jesus' birthday, a century after the early church accepted that, Roman Emperor Constantine becomes a Christian, professes Christ, let's put it that way. 312 AD, Constantine professes Christ and makes Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And at that point, yeah, at that point, both Saturnalia and Sol Invictus were cleaned up for, to make them family-friendly and folded into the Christmas celebration. Christmas in the West, they call it the Feast of the Nativity in the East. That did happen. But what cranky people on the Internet mostly overlook is that Christmas already existed. It had its own origin story. It, it didn't spring fully formed out of pagan worship. In fact, by absorbing Saturnalia and Sol Invictus, you could argue that Christmas helped put an end to pagan worship. Yes, says the person who disagrees with me, but the church and Christmas were corrupted in the process. How so? Because trees, because lights, because all of the regalia associated with the, those pagan worship feasts got migrated into Christmas. Okay, corrupted or just combined? I, because, because, yeah, I agree. Lights and trees don't jump off the pages of the Bible. But do they really corrupt our celebration? When we get to Romans 14 which at the rate we're going is going to be sometime after the 2024 election. <laughs> we're going to speed up after chapter 8, I think. When we get to Romans 14, Paul is going to revisit a topic he's talked about in previous letters. He's going to talk about the law of liberty. And he's going to say, Receive one who's weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Who are you to judge another's servant? One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. Paul wasn't talking about Christmas there, but I think the principle applies. 
I, I don't want to persuade anyone to go against their conscience this morning, but I think that's what we're talking about. I think it is a matter of conscience. Yeah, some elements of Christmas in our culture, trees, wreaths, lights, holly, yeah, are vestiges. They're carryovers from pagan festivals. That's indisputable. But do they have that same meaning to us? That's the question we need to ask. I mentioned earlier we have a tree in the foyer. You walked by it. You may or may not have noticed it because it's just sort of background at this point, right? They're everywhere. We haven't always had one. We don't need one. I'm not hyped on, oh, it's Christmas, we got to have a treat. Someone gave it to us, and so we put it up. But every year since, since that happened, I get one or two comments. Are, are we supposed to be doing that? Is, is that okay? I don't mind the questions at all. I love the questions, in fact. Test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. What's interesting, though, Never get questions about the wreaths or the pine boughs. And historically, that's more of an issue, to be honest, because the Romans hung pine boughs on the walls as part of their pagan feasts, and they even sometimes exchanged them as gifts. Now, historians argue about why that was. Was it superstition or was it herbal medicine? Because we know that pine, even today, people will use pine tea for various things, dental work, toothaches, uh, uh, ward off scurvy in certain parts of the world. I, I don't know what I think. I haven't studied it enough to be sure. It might be, it might be one of those things where Christians are just trying too hard. But I don't, I don't actually feel like a compelling need to, to dig into that because here's what I do know for sure that, that makes it a moot argument. Pagans aren't the only ones who like pine trees. What was Solomon's temple built out of? Cedars of Lebanon. What's the millennial temple going to be made of? We don't have to guess. We read in Isaiah 60, verse 13, the glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, the box tree together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I'll make the place of my feet glorious. And there are many other verses that we're going to be looking at as we get back into uh, Isaiah on Wednesday nights after the new year. There are many other verses that say that pine trees are going to be abundant, not just in the construction of the Millennial Temple, but God is going to repopulate the Holy Land, the land of Israel, with pine trees. Point being, yeah, the Romans decorated with pine boughs, exchanged them as gifts even, but they were copying God, whether they knew it or not. They were copying God, not the other way around. Lights, same thing. Was Jesus copying Rome when he said, I'm the light of the world, John 8, 12? Was Jesus copying the world when, when he inspired John to write that he's the true light that gives light to all? John 1, 9. I don't think so. Hard times saying that these things corrupt the church when they not only come from God, but they're used by God to point people to God. Okay, but that, 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 that's pine boughs and lights, Patrick. Isn't there, some, isn't there something in the Bible about trees and silver and gold? And There is, and it's in Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10 
Do not learn the ways of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. Okay, confession time. And this is before Anne and I were married, so don't blame her for this. This is, this is on me. One year I sent Christmas cards out with that verse printed on the front in the shape of a Christmas tree, just to see if anybody would notice. Nobody noticed. But was Jeremiah talking about Christmas trees? That, that's an easy no, because Christmas trees hadn't been invented yet. Christmas hadn't been invented yet. But pagan or, or Christian, they, they, Christmas trees weren't a thing yet. Christmas trees, the way that you and I think of them, are, are only began in the 1500s. There's a legend, it's probably apocryphal, that, that Martin Luther was the first person to cut down a tree and bring it home. It's, it's probably just the stuff of legend. But what was Jeremiah talking about? Wednesday night people, think back to Isaiah. How many times have we seen really, really similar language in the pages of Isaiah? And what's Isaiah talking about every time he says things like this? Idolatry. He's talking about cutting down a tree and decorating it and then bowing down before it, praying to it, worshiping it. Is one application of Jeremiah 10, verses 2 and 3, that we shouldn't pray to our Christmas tree? Sure. I don't know anyone who does, is the thing. So, so what are we really talking about here? Is it sincere objection to ever having anything to do with might have, that might have ever touched pagan worship? If that's the case, I respect that. If that's the case, I can, I can, I can, I can respect that. But, but you better start calling today the first day of the week, or, or call it Fred. But you can't call it Sunday, because that po points to a pagan sun god. Better not come to Wednesday night service. Better, better call it midweek Bible study, because Wednesday comes from Woden, a Norse god. And when you come, you better not wear your Nikes. Because before Nike meant just do it, Nike was the Greek goddess of victory. Well, I don't think about any of that, Patrick. And that's the point. Why would you? Why would anyone? There's, there's pagan symbolism and terminology all around us all the time. We need to evaluate it on the basis of what it means to us, what impact does it have on us today. I'll give you an example in reverse. If I say swastika, you immediately think Nazi Germany. I was, was going to put it on the screen. And then I thought to myself, no, Facebook is going to flag that as hate speech. And, and, and they probably would, and rightly so, because that's universally what it means today. But before the Nazis got a hold of it, it was actually a symbol of good luck in lots and lots of cultures, including some sects of Christianity. Does anyone use it that way today? No. Because the Nazis changed it forever. That can happen. But, but it can happen in the other direction too. The first song that we sang this morning, Do You Hear What I Hear, was not written as a Christmas song. It was written 
about peace during the Cuban Missile Crisis. It became a Christmas song because Christmas is about Jesus and Jesus redeems things. Patrick, you still haven't addressed that last point. You're ducking the fact that we don't know if Jesus was born on December 25th. Somebody in the third century took a guess. It was more than a century after the last apostle died. They didn't know. Why, why pick an arbitrary date? Is it, can't that be wrong? Yeah, if we had to do it all over again, maybe we wouldn't do it that way. But is it wrong to celebrate Jesus' birth? Because Jesus was born. December 25th may or may not have been his birthday, but he had a birthday. Does scripture tell us to have a birthday party for him? Not directly, but it does tell us, 1 John 4, 2, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. What's John saying? He's saying declaring that Christ came and tabernacled among us is not only good, it's how we prove that we're of him. It's not unbiblical to say Jesus was born. Did the early church celebrate his birth? Maybe not the way that we do. But go back a little earlier. Go back to the first two chapters of Luke and reread how Mary celebrated Jesus' birth, how Zacharias celebrated even before he was born, Simeon, Anna, the angels. What did the angels say? They're announcing good tidings of great joy that will be for all. A Savior has come. That's a reason for a party. That God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die for our sin? Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the creator of the universe crammed himself into human form, set aside privileges and prerogatives and powers of divinity, crammed himself into human form for one reason, to die in our place. Jesus came to die for our sin. We talked about this last night. God loved us so much that he looked at us in our fallen state, our rebellious state. He looked at humanity who had decided to go its own way, who had decided, you know, God, we're going to trade your plan for what's behind door number two. And he said, oh, I wish it weren't so. Oh, I wish there were another way. But God is perfect in his justice. He couldn't ignore the fact that we had sinned. We had we had rebelled against the creator of the universe. You can't snap your fingers and make that go away. How does God, who's perfect in his justice, also minister mercy, also offer forgiveness, answer, punish someone else in our place? But who? Who could be punished in our place who, who was perfect in himself, who didn't have any of his own sin that required punishment? and whose death would be sufficient to pay for everyone's sin, not just one person's sin. Not just a one-for-one one trade, one, one, one death for another death, 
but one death for one race. The only answer to that dilemma is someone who is fully God and fully man. The only answer to that dilemma is Jesus. So how do we celebrate that? I said before, it's a matter of conscience. You get to decide for you. Do not let me bully you into celebrating Christmas. But don't let anyone scare you away from it either. Ask, what does God's word say? And dig into it and find out. Ask, what does the spirit of God say? Go to him. Personally, I'm going to celebrate Christmas. Because Christmas and the fact that Jesus came is why today I can read the word and understand it and receive guidance from it. The fact that Jesus came is, is why today I can pray and know that God hears my prayers and his answers are yes and amen. So yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take some of the weird customs grafted in over time, not mistletoe, but some of the other ones, and I'm going to use them to talk about Jesus as the opportunity presents. Because candles, lights, they do point to the true light who came to bring light to all men, to give light and to give life. Christmas tree ornaments, didn't talk about those. Why are Christmas tree ornaments round? Because Jesus is the light of the world, which is also round. Evergreen trees point to eternal life unending life that we have. Why? Because Jesus hung on a tree. Put an angel on your tree? Hey, angels spoke to shepherds, and shepherds were the first to learn that Jesus had come. Star on your tree? Led the Magi to Bethlehem to do what? Worship Jesus. Presence under the tree? They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh to worship him. And oh, by the way, presence point us directly to him and remind us to thank God for his indescribable gift. Is that how any of those things were originally intended? Probably not. But Jesus redeems. He, he, he redeemed me. He redeemed us. He can redeem Christmas. Father, thank you for sending your son. Words are so inadequate. An eternity of prayers would be insufficient for the privilege of calling you Father. The access that we have, the, the veil torn that allows us to come boldly before your throne of grace. Not as subjects approaching a mighty king, but as children going into dad's office, into his study. Knowing that we we, we can't be interrupting. But there's no such thing. Whenever we speak, whatever burden we have, you're always glad to see us. Always eager to hear from us. Always willing to love us and loving us. Doing what you know in your perfect knowledge and wisdom is best for us. And we worship you this Christmas.